Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam, and I'm your host, Tariq El Amin. If you are new to Radio Islam, we welcome you. We're a live call in talk show broadcasting every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central on WCEV 1450 AM, and you can listen to our live stream at www.wcev1450.com. And remember, you can now access us on TuneIn. Just look under WCEV. Remember, you can get our podcast wherever you get your podcast. That's Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or iTunes. We are at, at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. If you have a comment or question you'd like to pose throughout tonight's discussion, you can give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. And remember to follow and like our pages at, where at? At Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. All right, all of that is out of the way, Radio Islam family. Uh, tonight is our second edition of our our book club, a novel idea. That's the name that we that we ran with uh, thus far. Well, we're not changing it now, so I mean, you know, it is what it is. Um, but uh, so our book for the month of February is Servants of Allah: uh, African American Muslims Enslaved in the Americas by Sylvia. Uh, Diouf, and we have the crew ready to uh, to talk about it. So we have the. Well, why don't you just introduce yourself, Aria? <laughs> Let's try that again. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum. Uh, my name is Aria. I am the creative director here at Sound Vision. For those of you interested in joining the new Adams World team, you can go to whoa, Sound Vision whoa, and whoa, fill out whoa. the creative. <laughs> forum and uh, come back to me just plug shameless plug right there um other than that i am Tariq's best friend right after his wife um oh, and i used to be a lacrosse athlete in college oh goodness okay all right thank you so much you're Aria. welcome you're so welcome <laughs> and of shout course, out to my parents in the caribbean yes yes indeed and of course the impressive one ibrahim bay you can give the psalms assalamu alaikum <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, this is a uh, first of all for any uh, anybody who is interested in history, uh, the history of uh, African Americans or the 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 African Muslims that came uh, to the Americas. This is a must. It's a must read. So. Uh, there are a lot of themes that I've, I've picked up on, and unfortunately, we already know this. We know that we're not going to get through this entire book uh, in an hour. It's too much. It's, it's, it's a couple of different questions. It, it's, it's a few different conversations. Ari is looking at me like, what? So what are, what are one of the, uh, the themes that, that, that you picked up with this book? What is something that struck you? Um, struck me because of my incredible ignorance to because I grew up in America and I learned American history, which technically you don't really learn, learn anything, but my extreme ignorance to the amount of sacrifices and struggles black people have gone through to ensure that Islam is preserved, um, not, not just in America, but where did the Sahabas flee to? They fl fled to Africa, Ethiopia. They were protected 
by Africans there. And then more so in America, where slaves went through abuse and contempt and pretty much hell, but they still continued to pray and fast. They were charitable amongst each other. There were instances within the book. I read this. I read the book and I learned all this. I did not know this before. But even within the book, slaves would um, go hunting and like sell whatever they got, save a bit of money. And from that money, they would give zakat. And from that money, moms would save a little bit each day to make sure their kids had like cakey pancakes in uh, on Eid, which I thought was really kind of pretty and it made me cry while I was reading that because just the sacrifices of moms, like you're a slave, but you still set aside a few pennies throughout the day to make sure your kid has a little bit of sugar on Eid. And, and what we'll do is we're going to change the narrative slightly with just by adding on an E-N, right? And we're going to say that these are the enslaved. Oh. Right. Well, I mean, and that's that, and that's in accordance with the book because yeah. the, uh, just that slight change of being a slave and being enslaved, uh, just that slight change, it gives a a, a completely different uh, different meaning. Um, one of the things that that really got me was the the idea of uh, of how how these people adapted, um, how they met uh, met the reality of uh, often forced conversions mm -hmm. and and basically played along uh, in a lot of cases where they would where they were quote unquote baptized uh, but continued to to practice continue to speak their language uh, uh, continued to to live as Muslims one of the things I really I, I just I laughed at it um, I mean, just just kind of a really joyful sense that um, I think it was the Portuguese when in their writings when they said that these people there is no converting them. Mm -hmm. uh, they just they refuse, uh, and that was that was born out of a, an understanding and, and a commitment, uh, not just an emotional attachment, but a. Um, but an attachment that was that was based in in knowledge uh, and understanding. These were very learned people, um, so they understood they understood the the doctrine that was being brought to them, uh, Christianity as as was presented. They understood it completely different than the uh, than those who might have been uh, animist, uh, who you know who who still continued to practice. Uh, they 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 took more of a incorporation they incorporated the beliefs uh, of uh, Christianity into their practice but we're not talking about the the animists but we're talking about but but the Muslims uh, in particular they they couldn't do anything with them mm -hmm. so um, I just thought that was uh, I thought that was really that was inspiring um, for me yep what do you think? Um, and another thing that I thought was really inspiring or something that I didn't know before I started reading this book was that uh, in my mind, how we were taught about slavery growing up in America is that the enslaved population were just either uneducated peasants or there were qu kings and queens even to that extent. But what you don't understand is the intellectual dimension of the deported population that's never talked about. It's never talked about that some of them were school children, some of them were high level students or scribes or scholars or poets or lawyers, judges and teachers, all these people are deported 
forcefully. And we never talk about that. We never talk about the humanity behind these people. They're just seen as like a monolith. Oh, they were running around. And even to like, even the extent where like, when you see pictures of back in the day when you have those paintings that they have, um, you always see them like without any clothes and just like a white pure loincloth on like at the slave market. But that's actually really like, like, that wasn't by like, that wasn't how it was i don't know how to phrase that better especially since like the the stripping was done by the europeans like africans had this whole sense of dress and modesty especially muslim africans right and they were that was taken away one of the first things that were taken away from them wasn't their religious identity but their clothes and they were just thrown naked into these ships and then taken out without and the whole loincloth is this puritanical american idea in the pictures but that's not how reality played out well, that was also that was also also su- to support the idea of a of a <coughs> primitive people mm-hmm. um, yeah and it was on it was in their law that uh that enslaved women had to be naked from the waist up uh that their that they could they had they could wear a petticoat but they did not they could they were not wearing um clothing and this might have been in the um in the uh, in the, in the Indies, um, but the whole idea of forcing nakedness, mm-hmm. uh, and and it was one, and it, I think it was, it was a Frenchman. Uh, his niece asked him. He says, "Why yeah, don't you?" Yeah, I read that. Yeah. Yeah. Says, "Why don't you uh, clothe them?" And he says, "Well, why don't you clothe clothe the slaves?" He says, "Well, why would you we'll clothe be, your we'll dogs?" Be, yeah. We'll, would we do better yeah. to clothe our clothe the cows and, and dogs? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really a really uh, uh, an intentional effort to put these men and women on the level of uh, of beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and so, yeah, that was just totally that was totally out of sorts for who they were. Um, but the resistance, their resistance uh, to that. And they did it in ways that seemed uh, really innocuous, uh, but. They, they were very, very uh, present, you know, particularly, with, you know, with the men. Uh, and they were they are characters. Well, I'll finish this thought. The beards, so they said they had long, pointy beards um, and they would wear caps uh, or and sometimes they would they would wear turbans. But the dress of of Muslims, of enslaved Muslims in particular, it began to signify uh, rebellion. And there were some really harsh consequences that came along with uh, the idea of wearing uh, uh, the, the white turban and the white uh, white pants, and their uh, their their significance or their presence in a number of revolts. So mm-hmm. there were there were enslaved persons that were uh, they were subjected to uh, one was six hundred lashes because uh, they just just for finding this clothing. Uh, on them, just for for knowing that they had either made it or were in possession of it. Uh, another was uh, another was um, given five hundred. Another was four hundred. Uh, they had condemned a couple to uh, to death, but commuted it later later to just basically you know you're going to be uh, enslaved uh, and hard labor. So the um, I guess the the appearance 
the appearance of dress that was reflective of, of an Islamic uh, Muslim tradition from their home from their homeland, uh, it still it still brought itself um, to the fore. Mm-hmm. And I know we're kicking over um, we're kicking over a lot of stuff. Um, what was one of the things that uh, that I saw that really okay? So I knew about Bilali. Okay. Right. Um, I knew about Yaro. Um, Mahmoud and that was also another so he's in Maryland and this brother is free at this point and he is he prays publicly yep he he wears his dress from his uh, from his homeland and they say when they interviewed him he says he was 110 years old at that point no his his Previous owner said he was 110, but he had he said, said he was 130. 130. Yeah, yeah, but he right. guessed around 80s, hopefully. Mm. Yeah, well, I don't know. Well, know, the man, but <clears throat> just to just to be alone yeah. that time. Um, yeah. What did you think about the fact that it wasn't just individuals, but it was communities? Uh, in, in the case of Bilali, mm-hmm. who was an over, you know, uh, had the position of overseer, like uh, Ishmael in. Um, uh, I don't think that was in the continental United States where he was at. I think he might have been in uh, Jamaica or the Bahamas or something like uh, in one of those places. But um, just the same with Bilali, they had a community, a group that fasted, that prayed, mm-hmm. uh, that were like you were mentioning about the, the pillars. They even had Zabiha slaughter done in some current communities, which yes. I thought was so impressive because it's so easy to like the five pillars yeah we we all should grasp onto them but those are hard but things such as eating zabiha meat like making sure it's slaughtered by muslims making sure that a prayer is said before the animal dies they actually held on to that which was so inspiring especially in today's world mm-hmm. um but another one thing that struck me within the communities was how they had this sense of pride in themselves because they were muslims they would eat together and like if other like like a Christian white person came by, they would kind of not look down at their noses, but not give them the time of day. They I still had that. that was hilarious. Yeah. Like the Christian would be like, oh, how, what are you eating? What are you doing? And they'd be like, no, we're Muslim. We don't associate with your kind. And I thought it was just so, I don't know. I really liked it. It, was, it had a very Wakanda feel to it. Like just <laughs> like we're better than you. Stop it. No, but, um, and I, I want to kind of extend that, not just to be, because it was not just on, uh, it was not off of racial lines. Yeah, of course, these are the people that had, you know, these are the people who have enslaved them and put them in a system where they are visibly uh, and intentionally trying to reduce them, mm-hmm. take away their humanity. So to come along for small talk, you know, that's that's really hypocritical. That's kind of ridiculous. Um, but they had a structure. They had a value on knowledge. Um, and that was already apparent. Yep. And and considering that so many of of the uh African Muslims that that came here that were forced that were forced to come here were literate not only in one language but in multiple languages. Even uh, the women. Yes. Which wasn't a thing amongst Yeah. non-Muslim women or non Well, not just non-Muslim, Afri- but yeah. if we're talking about uh Like European white peasantry, it said in the book European time, peasantry couldn't Read. No. It was only the well-to-do. Yeah, and even then, it was only white males. That's what it said in the book. Yeah, but so that that says something as well. When you're talking about people who 
who are literate in multiple languages. You know, mm -hmm. they're speaking um, Arabic and Hausa and Wolof and Mandingo, you know, all these different languages that, that one person has at, the, at their command. Uh, and you are being, you are quote unquote owned by somebody who is illiterate. Uh, it's it's it, it's it's not even funny, but it's uh, it just shows that the idea mm -hmm. that they were brought here simply as um, we brought here simply as uh, as laborers, you know, in of itself is is false. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't recall reading if that I might be mixing up books now. Um, because I know there are certain areas that uh, that uh, Africans were brought from that were uh, they were very skilled, knowledgeable as far as uh, the production of rice, uh, and they were intentionally, you know, mm -hmm. brought here to places like uh, in, in South Carolina, which became a hub for uh, for rice. Um, but the, but that knowledge was, you know, it, it mm -hmm. was sought out. Um, and another thing, like another fact that was in the book about communities and education was that they, um, while being enslaved, they continued on their literary tradition and their the literary phenomenon that they had. And they would pool their resources, like whatever little money they could make, they would pool their resources and buy books and other supplies to ensure that like the generations that were there could still read and could still write. And I thought that was really like phenomenal that they didn't just let their literal literal culture die with them, like in the in Africa, but they brought that over. And not only did they ensure that they could the future could read and write, but they also ensured that they kept Arabic intact, which to me meant a lot because Arabic had no place in like the new world, but they weren't doing transactions in Arabic. They weren't. They didn't need it to talk to anybody or write letters or anything like that. But they still kept that. Like they still taught Arabic and they still taught the Quran and they all like bought one copy of the Quran and then two and then three and then by the end of the year hundreds were being sold. And um, and in some cases, you had um, you had hafiz. You had people who had memorized. Yeah, I thought that was the amazing. Quran yep. And were able to write it out. Um, they. For them to, to continue to practice, uh, to, to keep their, you know, keep that, that, that knowledge alive, uh, whether it's writing in the sand or uh, writing by making their own, their own ink, which, which was a really a, a dangerous thing, but it was also an ink that they could, uh, I believe says they could drink it <laughs> as well if yeah. necessary, right? <clears throat> so... I thought that was really cool. But you know what? Let's kind of step back a little bit because we're we're glossing over, not glossing over, we've jumped directly to uh, the Americas. We've jumped directly mm -hmm. here, and we've we've kind of went past the conditions that that made it possible for uh, for for them to be enslaved. And there was a lot of internal uh, strife as well as uh, a coordinated uh, attack. A coordinated attack from uh, from European powers mm -hmm. uh, with regard to you know w w uh, the strategy uh, some of these strategies we still see playing out today you know if it's one tribe going against another then they did they they did then what they have done now which is they they support both sides 
mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I, th- I found it just really insidious that in some of these conflicts, the only way that they could trade or the only, the only resource that they would take were slaves. They said, we want, we need, we need people. Uh, so we showed on people at Gori, you know, at Gori. Uh, get us some, get us people, and we will give you weapons. We'll give you uh, whatever other um, resources you're looking for. So they fueled that. Yeah, as for me, uh, I couldn't read. I couldn't really finish the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I got started, but then I got sick. I got the flu, like you know. Yeah. Um, so inshallah, I'm gonna try to finish it up this weekend but the what i got from one of the major things that i got from the early parts of the book especially the first like 30 or 40 pages of the book is um appreciation for the complexity of the situation that was happening in west africa at the time um we might have a tendency first of all i went into the book kind of being like all right i'm probably gonna know like at least have a general idea on most of this but um it was still cool to get to appreciate the complexity of the situation in West Africa first of all with Islam arriving there many many centuries ago like a thousand years ago in some cases and in other cases like five or six hundred years ago mm. um, and then uh, the relationship between Muslim tribes and non-Muslim tribes right um, the complex relations and often wars and things like that battles disputes that were happening um, so then that kind of sets the scene for when the colonialist Europeans arrive there. There's already this kind of beefing and uh, feuding with each other. Um, and and it wasn't really a black and white situation where, I mean, there were situations where Muslims would try to uh, target non-Muslim tribes or other tribes that they had disputes with to become enslaved <coughs> and right. vice versa, right? Non-Muslim tribes. Try animus tribes or whatever to try to get revenge on the Muslims by getting them enslaved, you know. So this really messy and uh, complex picture is when the Europeans come in, and when they see this, then it gets into the part where like, okay, they were able to really exploit this to a, a whole new extent. Yeah. Um, so it really made me appreciate, like I said, the complexity and. Uh, the lack of a black and white situation like, you know, good tribes, bad tribes, or Muslims are good, or non-Muslims are bad, or vice versa, you know, wasn't really like that. It was pretty um, intense and very messy, you know? Yeah. Um, to that point, when the Europeans um, came there and they're documenting what they see in terms mm-hmm. of how slavery looks among uh, the Africans, uh, they're saying in some cases, you couldn't tell you couldn't tell who was who. Yeah. He says because uh, those who were quote unquote slaves were dressed in the same clothing as um, the, the 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 master, right? Yeah. Um, they're moving about freely. They're, you know, it's, it's a it's a different, uh, and then the the punishment, right? They pointed that out as well. He says. The punishments that are associated, the harsh punishments associated with slavery uh, under European uh, uh, power was just, it was absent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's implicit in that is what, when the Europeans came over, um, the form of slavery that they saw 
was a shock to them because what's implicit in there is that they were expecting these people to be like very primitive and expecting them to just almost like deserve to be enslaved uh, because of their backwardness or or whatever Um, as we know in places like Timbuktu there was scholars coming out of there you know there was uh, an amazing civilization there that faded away due to many different reasons economic climate change stuff like that Um, but yeah it speaks a lot to the perception that the Europeans had of slavery as something which was almost inherently based on race. Well, it definitely became, yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely did become uh, uh, based on race because it, cause it, it mentions, uh, the book does mention that they were they were trading in uh, Slavs and Irish. Um, yeah, I mean, just about Any everybody. Whoever they can get their hands on. Pagan. Yeah. yeah, and religion. And I thought this was a really, a really poignant um, observation uh, or an argument, however you want to look at it, that religion was basically used to justify. It was not just, uh, and whether it was uh, from the Christian standpoint, uh, uh, the Catholic Church, or whether it was mu- the Muslim or the the animus or you know pagan mm-hmm. whatever, that it was used as a, you know, as as a cover, but. There was another thing I, I found interesting uh, when they were having these discussions, and uh, between uh, the African and the uh, European, and they're saying that uh, they, I think he's recalling a war that took place in Europe, and he's talking about a battlefield of what like a thousand people or, or whatever, but a, a great number of people, and he says well, we we couldn't see that here uh, because there's still a value to life. And that these people could be of uh, of benefit, so it was um, it just showed completely different outlooks on uh, on life and um, yeah, just the value of life. It kind of reaffirmed uh, something for me, an idea that's already talked about, which is that when the early uh, generations of the transatlantic uh, slave trade started that the people, Muslim and non-Muslim in West Africa, they didn't really have an idea for what was in store for those slaves on the other end. Yeah. Because their form of slavery was almost like, in some, in at, at best cases, it was like basically docking someone's pay. Uh, <laughs> and at worst cases, I yeah. mean, there were some bad cases too, obviously, uh, with yeah. war it's and stuff like that. It's comparable to minimum wage um, currently. <laughs> but yeah. but being I, a surf I, at worst. Yeah. yeah, but it does kind of reaffirm for me that notion that those early generations they had no idea what was going to go on at the other end of the Atlantic. Yeah. Um, obviously, then eventually stories started to come back of what's actually going on over there, and even people were uh, mistakenly taken over there, which the book talks about. And yeah. but yeah, it's it was it was drastically a drastically different form of slavery than anything that they had seen. Yeah, and yeah. Go, go on. Oh, I was going to say, when they did find out about how bad that it was going to be, they chose to commit suicide, a lot of them, if they could, rather than get to America. And, and they tried to say that, um, that that was the reason why they kept them naked yeah. uh, on, the, on the ships, so that they could not commit suicide. But I think uh, that was just the way to break people, just to really solidify the fact that you don't even, can't even clothe yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, um, also the book 
it, it sheds light on the the vast amount of knowledge that was lost uh, among among the people, just in terms of the wars that were fought, not not just internally, uh, but wars that were fought uh, in resistance of, uh, of of colonization or resistance of, of slavery, it says that those who are foremost, uh, you know, in the, in their resistance were those who are most most learned. Uh, so it's a different type of it's a different type of, of brain drain, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, Actually, I shouldn't even say brain drain because they're not going anywhere. They just, they were, their lives were being taken, um, but in uh, in the path of what they of what they believed in. So, um, yeah, I thought that was. It's not something I really I thought about a lot uh, prior to reading this, but uh, it it just it just goes to show that uh, there's a lot of, there's a, there was a lot of knowledge. Uh, that was lost. All right, Radio Slime family, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, if you'd like to give us a call, let us know what you think. If you've read the book or if you have any uh, comments on it, give us a call at 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. This is Radio Slime. We'll be right back. Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Okay, forest animals, kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, he's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. I knew I was stuck at this kid's house for the night, but those guys snuck up on me to try and pull the hand in a bowl of warm water trick. Well, that was enough for me. I went downstairs to sleep in the basement, even though it was pitch black. I left my sleeping bag upstairs, and that was a mistake, because it was freezing. I think it was probably the longest night of my life. To read more about the sleepover, check out Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Last Straw by Jeff Kenny. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov, brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el I am joined in studio by Arya Sadiq. Sadiqi, I'm sorry, I, I left off the I. Please say the I. Arya Sadiqi, the impressive one, Ibrahim Bake. That's right, you don't, listen, you, you just showed up for tonight, all right? If you were here on a regular basis, then... I could be here on a regular but, basis. But you're not, but you're not, so. The lively one, you're, okay. <laughs> 
right? If you if you're if you're insisting. <laughs> All right, so Radio Islam family, uh, welcome back. We are in the middle of our conversation about servants of Allah, African Muslims enslaved in the Americas by Sylvian A. Diouf, and so we're just gonna we just keep it mo keep it moving uh, before we. Start with our next uh, observation. Just want to let people know if you would like to call, uh, let us know what you think. If you've read the book, give us a call at 312 750 1178. 312 750 1178. So, uh, as we were uh, in between, uh, as we were on break, uh, what, what, what was that point that you wanted to, to bring up? Oh, um, well, before we went on break, actually, in the beginning of the segment, we were talking about how Islam was preserved and how it was such a force that f formed communities, even within the New World. And Spain knew this, um, knew this about Islam, how it would bring people together, how they would become an unstoppable force. So Sp Spain had like five or six decrees where it didn't want African Muslims to come to the New World directly. They wanted them to make a stop off in Spain where they would force unmuslify them like break them down <laughs> make sure that they like are subservient to man and not to God and then they would bring them over and they had a different terminology they were called um bozales were the people who came directly from Africa and um but because of the demands of plantations and how they work it was n because American American plantation owners didn't necessarily care to keep their slaves alive. They were just like, "All right, we'll just get a new one." Um, wow. That was in the book. Uh, fifteen. The average yeah. lifespan of uh, yeah. of an enslaved person was fifteen years. That yep. Uh, and when they did the research, uh, it said that a British guy came over, did research, and he said the slave cost two hundred and thirty. I think it was two hundred thirty-seven dollars, and um, to purchase, but only cost. Think less than less than thirteen dollars mm -hmm. a year to maintain. Yep. Uh, but they figured it was it was it was acceptable. Basically, work them to the bone, uh, have them underfed, overworked, and yeah, just 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 tremendous cruelty. Yeah. Tremendous cruelty. Um. Were you about to uh, say something? No? Okay. All right. Um. What was your? Uh, I was just gonna continue my yeah, point right, where right, um, instead of. Now I'm kind of lost. Thank you. you. You'll pick it up. I'll pick it up. All right. So Spain stopped, tried to stop Muslims from coming into the New World. And they were right because the Haitian Revolution, the uprising of slaves, a lot of them was done by Muslims. And a lot of them was done by the communities of Muslims who bond together, learn, taught each other what to do. like And so even though Spain tries to stop Muslims, I have no idea where the train of thought was going. So we just flipped well, to it. Well, it, I think it's, it's relevant, <coughs> Spain's history with Islam. Yeah, uh, right? that's true. There's a great hatred. Um, you know, 1492, uh, it, it signified uh, that was the end of the Muslim occupation or, or presence, really, in, in Spain. That was the, 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 last, of, the last stage of the, of the expulsion. extermination and expulsion, yeah. yeah. So the last ones were, were pushed out of, uh, was it uh, Granada? Um, so they were very well aware of... Mm -hmm you know, of the, the power, um, uh, the institutional power of Islam. So they didn't want to see that at all. I think that brings up a very uh, strong and very salient and powerful point. Mm -hmm. um, it's easy for us in the 
um, post 9-11 era to be a little bit too cautious, right? Uh, when we talk about Islam, obviously we all condemn terrorism and extremism and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's another thing altogether to try to eliminate or forget about um, or cover up the uh, revolutionary spirit that definitely lies within Islam, which has always surfaced again and again and again and again throughout history, whether it be in the situation we're talking about. Why did they want to de-Islamicize these people? Because they feared the that revolutionary spirit. Absolutely. Um, the Prophet ﷺ himself, he was a revolutionary. He was a peaceful revolutionary, but nonetheless, he shook up his society. Um, so I think it's important for us in this era, post 9-11 era, with crazy people out there, crazy Muslims and stuff like that, who we, all, who we condemn and we continue to condemn, we'll, we'll continue to do that. Right. At the same time, let's not shy away from our revolutionary identity, that we are people as Muslims who spur change and we are even willing to sacrifice uh, ourselves for change. That's a, that's a great point. And I think it's only one that can be, be appreciated by, by having an awareness of, of the history of the people that have come before us, uh, the different communities, uh, the struggles. Yes, that's our legacy. Yeah, absolutely. Like with the Muslims that we're talking about, the enslaved Muslims of West Africa. Yeah. That's part of my legacy, too, as a Muslim, you know. And, you know, and I really appreciate because uh, Ibrahim, uh, you know, he said that on more than one occasion. Uh, and I, ju I think that that's tremendously important for us as a diverse community to feel attached to the uh, not just the, the struggles, but the resistance uh, that manifest across this uh, diversity, uh, whether we share the same you know ethnicity or not. Uh, that resistance it is is couched in an understanding of that you are you are supposed to be a, a free person as a matter of fact one of the letters that's referenced uh in here uh and it was from i can't recall the the, the brother's name but he sent a letter i believe in arabic to a a, a friend i think who had just gotten his freedom or something mm -hmm. to that uh, effect and he said i'm glad that you are he put that in. I'm glad you are you are you are a free person, um, and there's a there's a lack, not a lack, but there is a there's an automatic resistance to our uh, I think to marginalization um, that that comes with an understanding our relationship you know to our Creator, uh, our responsibilities to one another. I think it, it, that's it's just a a natural. Uh, it's a natural uh, byproduct, you know, uh, rebellion uh, to oppression. Okay, now, as someone who has not yet finished the book, I want to ask you guys something. I want to interview you. <laughs> wow. I, I think I have to, to leave. Um, I want to know how you feel about this. Um, the notion of Islam as something completely foreign to this country and not really part of the history of this country. We know that's not true, right. that Islam in North America actually precedes the United States of America itself, right? It was okay. on these shores before yeah. uh, any kind of declaration of independence, let alone constitution and government. What did this book do for you as far as intensifying and really cementing that notion of Islam 
being a having an ancient presence here in North America and something which really being something which really belongs here what did this book uh, how did this book change or not change or or alter your perception of that uh, for me it really didn't alter uh, my perception on that at all um, like you said if you're talking about the United States um, before our actual Constitution you know you can go back to the Articles of Confederation you can go back to the first, uh, the first manifestation of a, of a government here. Um, uh, and if you're talking about uh, like the Moors, right, the Moors Science Temple, that's what they go back to, that treaty with Morocco, um, that, which, which was a Muslim presence. Uh, you know, people like to talk about the, the uh, that Thomas Jefferson, you know, had a Quran, uh, that the majority of the now, of course, this will push us off into some other areas, but uh, there was an awareness of Islam by the founding fathers. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and there was, there's evidence that there were Africans who came here, not just, you know, not just Morocco, but that came here, um, uh, you know, uh, by, by sea. Um, well, you know, well before, you know, all of this, before Columbus and all of that. So um, it didn't really, it, it hasn't, it didn't change anything. But I'll say this, that it's a book that I'm going to have, I'm going to definitely have to read probably two or three more times. Um, just, be, just, I think just to let it just soak in. So you would agree with that notion then that Islam is something that, sh well, factually, we know it precedes the United States of America here and the continent. But you would agree with that the notion that it's something which absolutely belongs here and is ancient and has roots here. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I think the, to me, the best expression of that is is in how these people took extraordinary, uh, they went to extraordinary lengths to maintain that connection, to maintain the identity. Uh, and pass that down, and even when that identity was not necessarily understood or recognized as being Muslim, the the, the ethos, the, the 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 spirit of it, it was it was still there. I want to throw something in that we we kind of mentioned offline as well. Today in the African in African American church, when uh, as as many church goes, if we got any church goes on, on the on the line that they're listening. If you've seen folks that are, they get up and they start clapping and going in that, in a circle. Um, Sylvia uh, Duf, uh, she talks about how that was directly related to the Tawaf, directly related to the, the the uh, the, the the movement around the uh, the Kaaba, right? Mm -hmm. So these. These things sometimes that we see that we can't explain, but are really indicators of, of the, uh, of how deeply embedded uh, Islam is, here, the, the 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 presence of the, the, the nation of Islam, you know, as as that came about and the attraction that it had, uh, and, and and has for you know for for, for many people, um, to me those are signs that. Islam is something that is 
it is definitely deeply uh, embedded, not mm -hmm. always understood or recognized for for being that, but its preservation, um, its preservation to me is, is, is undeniable, and it, and it comes out in ways that we don't always uh, understand. Yeah, um, in response to Ibrahim's question, um, the book didn't lend anything to my knowledge of Islam being in America because there's evidence that the Viking, like if you look into Native American history, there's evidence the Vikings brought over Islam to America. Like Islam has been in America, that's been a thing. But what it did add was to my knowledge of how the struggle to preserve Amer Islam within America and the struggle that um, enslaved population went through, that they made concrete decisions and exercised choices to make sure that Islam would last and Islam would be here. Um, it definitely added to that because until I read the book, I just ex I just assumed that Islam died out because it must it's hard for me to be Muslim and I'm living in like today's time and I'm not enslaved. So I just assumed that who who would fast if they can't even eat regularly? Who would pay zakat? Um, and so that's what it added to my knowledge of like how hard they struggle to preserve the Muslim identity and make sure that it had a future here and they, that Islam didn't become irrelevant in the new world. Okay, uh, he's turned it back over to me. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so th that I think that question I think is at the center of the of the book. Mm -hmm. Is that these these people were Muslim and they give some great uh, estimations as to the percentage, you know, of of people uh, that that were Muslim, and just just talking about the uh, the, the mannerisms and the uh, behavior, language, uh, literacy, all these different things that played a part, uh, the the diet, all of these different things that pay, played a part in passing down uh, an awareness, you mm -hmm. know, of of Islam. So yeah, it's. This is Islam is as is as American uh, as as apple pie. No, it's as American as bean pie. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you knew how. Yeah, yeah. It it is. You're so cheesy. Hey, I don't care. Bean pie, right here. It was it, it was invented. Oh, bean pie. Bean I thought you were saying being pie, like the you want to be pie, like you want to be baked. That doesn't even make sense. Uh, oh, okay, <laughs> it does to us. <laughs> Being pie? Yeah. What do you mean? Like the dude? The no. guy? Or pie like 3.12 times? No, like you want to just be a cherry pie. That's what I thought. Yeah, okay, fine. Oh, wow. That's terrible. All right, Arya, we have <clears> to, um, we're going to have to maybe get you on a little, yeah, maybe. Would you like a little more. We got we got a call. Okay. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Radio Islam. Alaikum assalam. How are you? I'm good. And yourself? Doing well. Alhamdulillah. I'm good uh, too. Thank you. Assalamualaikum. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm calling in just to to ask if you all can make some connections to um, what we're currently going through um, in in our battle to to make sure that. Um, Islam is not um, viewed in a, in a certain light, and um, in connection to the things that you you read about 
historically that how people fall for Islam. If you can make some current um, uh, day connections to the historical context of the book. Okay, great question. Great. Qu uh, um, I'm going to go back to uh, to Ibrahim's point, uh, and I think which was if if you heard that uh, or not, I'll just kind of repeat and expound a little bit on that. Uh, and that is we have to recognize that uh, Islam has always been, well, and I'm going to dial back quickly and, and frame this within Black History Month. Um, and hopefully that we, we understand that there's a universal understanding or application for this. Uh, Islam has always had a, a revolutionary uh, uh, impact, uh, particularly in America. Uh, and in any society, but if we're going to just look at it right now today, uh, it's important that we don't water down what we have, that we don't take the, 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 the teeth uh, away from it or its ability to be transformative uh, and liberational um, and, and not to be afraid of identifying ourselves uh, as Muslims. I think that is something that we should take away uh, from the book because at, uh, at, at many spaces, yeah, I'll, I'll wrap up and I'll give you a second to go ahead uh, to Aria. Uh, at, at many uh, spaces in the book, it talks about how uh, these people were visibly, uh, they were visibly Muslim. Uh, they, they adhered to the best of their ability uh, to Muslim uh, practices, even under hardship. So we mm -hmm. should gain some, some strength and we should gain some inspiration uh, from that to try to, I mean, what do we have in our way? So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah, I was just going to say the last point that you're saying where um, the people in the book, that the, the enslaved population, they didn't let um, being enslaved stop them from practicing Islam. I mean, that's they didn't let not having any food to stop them from being fasting or not have, they didn't have a lot of money, but they still gave zakat. They still held tight to their Islamic traditions and didn't really care what the larger world thought them as. Like even when um, Christian people would come up to talk to them, they, would, they wouldn't really care what they thought because in their mind, they had the dignity of Islam. They were servants of Allah and that meant something. And I think we should really just remind ourselves that at the end of the day, you're a servant of Allah, and Allah, inshallah, will take care of you no matter what. Um, so that's my take. Okay. Ibrahim? Okay. And I'll throw this last thing out there. Uh, the, uh, the advice that Lukman, um, on MBPs, that he gave to his son. He says, uh, lower thy voice, um, be, be, uh, be moderate, moderate in thy, uh, thy, thy, thy speech, I believe. Um, no, 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 no. I'm not going to give you Lukman. I'm going to give you, uh, it's, it's, a, it's another ayat um, from Quran, and it basically says uh, that to, to bear with patience whatever, whatever uh, afflicts you, whatever betides you, whatever falls upon you. And to me, that goes also right back to a common spirit in the book, that as Muslims, they did not feel like they were dispossessed or that they had no agency. Uh, they understand that there's a dictate that Allah has uh, in our lives for things that are outside of our control, but it's our responsibility to, to do our uh, best with those circumstances. So I'm going to end with that, is that we should never feel like we have lost agency, uh, and we should continue to advocate uh, for ourselves and, and for what's right. So.
that's that. Is it time on us? All right, okay, all right, we, we, we got a few. Is our caller still with us? Yeah. No, I'll call yeah. her back. Oh, oh you are? Okay. Did, um, did you want to add something to that? Um, <laughs> or did you have a, a, a well, comment or anything else? Well, no. Um, I think I absolutely agree with, with all of those comments. I think that um, in many ways we can learn a lot of lessons, but we've lost our way um, with in terms of our connectiveness to to our roots and understanding um, folks of the African diaspora as part of our roots here in America. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's to our disservice. Um, and we see that in, in the desegregated spaces that we occupy with the masjid. Um, and so that's where we need to start in my opinion. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. uh, appreciate the call and the comments. All right, Radio Islam family, um, our time has come. Our time has come, and we pray that everybody has a great weekend. As a matter of fact, if you are free tomorrow from 1 to 4, um, I will be a part of a panel over at MEC, Muslim uh, Educational Center. Uh, that is in Morton Grove. Uh, there's a Black History Month uh, program there. as intersectionality, um, how race uh, impacts our, our cooperative efforts. Uh, so come on out if you're free. Uh, there's no cost for admission. And... Who's our engineer, Leonard? All right, thank you very much, Leonard, our engineer over at WCEV. Uh, I want to thank my co-host uh, for the evening, Arya Siddiqui, Ibrahim Bey, the impressive one, um, who's also our engineer in studio. I'm your, well, I guess we're collectively, we collectively produce this. Uh, I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Um, we remind you that the views expressed are those of the, of the host and co-host, uh, not to be taken as representative of Sound Vision Inc. Everybody have a great weekend. We're going to leave you now as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.